Hey guys, again, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to our show. And if you love what you see, and I know you do, please rate, review, and subscribe. It would mean so much to us. Yeah, it absolutely means the world to us. Helps us get out to the wider audience, really just capture more people that we can help you with this show. Again, if you're getting value, check us out. Thank you again. So grateful to you. Well, hello again. Welcome back to the Jason and Peely Project. Super excited for today's show. Got a ton of great actual advice that's going to come your way. And of course, if you like what you hear, go over and give us a rating to review. It doesn't have to be five stars. We just want to hear from you. We want to hear what we're doing, what we can do better, what else we can bring you. So go down there, hit like, hit subscribe. But you got an awesome podcast in front of you. We got Joseph Bramante on the show. Hey, Joseph. How you doing? Hey, Jason. Doing well. Glad to be here. Glad to have you. And Joseph is co-founder and CEO of Houston-based Triarch Real Estate Partners, a wholly integrated multifamily investment company, purchased his first multifamily back in 2011, sight unseen while working as a business team leader for ExxonMobil in uh, Papua New Guinea. Today, working with business partners, Carrie Brenneman and Deborah Newsom, he's grown his portfolio to over 1,100 units, increasing NOI by over 80% on average within 48 months post-acquisition. So we talked a lot about mindset before we really got in there. Just some of the things you've done just for you to prepare yourself for the journey that you have now embarked on and that you're currently on. So lessons learned throughout the last nine years throughout this journey and how you've grown and how you've used those lessons to, to continue to help you build and scale not only in your business, but also in your life. Patience. Patience yeah, is a big it. one. You know, this, uh, we all have these grandiose plans. We want to do, we want everything. We want it now. That's kind of that American culture in us. You know, we don't like to wait, but in this industry, you need to get used to waiting. Uh, I mean, just look at our contracts. Our contracts ideally are 75 days and, and, and when ideal situations and they tend to go longer. Um, and then you just look at, you know, how long it's going to take you to, you know, grow those large portfolios you know, there's, you know, the guys that I look up to, you know, they've all got these massive, you know, 20,000 unit portfolios or even, even larger. And, you know, I want it right now. Uh, but you just have to have the discipline to stay the course. Uh, and then also don't compare yourself to others. You know, you're on your own journey and it's so easy these days of social media and, and, and maybe people find themselves comparing themselves to me. And, and I say, don't, you know, just stay in your lane, do, you know, follow your path. And, uh, and you'll get to where you got to get to. You know, it's so important, like you said, with social media, it can become almost a detriment because you see others who supposedly look to have this success that's just happened right away, right? Mm -hmm. And if you are using social media as a business tool for, for your brand image, it, it becomes wholly aligned that you have to make sure that you're continuing on your message, not getting caught in, caught in someone else's. And as you've grown here, how has your business plan for multifamily changed throughout the years as you, as you become more solidified in your own voice? I would say in the beginning, we were really focused on maximizing, um, I guess as an Aussie, we're, we're, more, we're more focused on hitting home runs, whereas now we're just looking at getting nice base hits, you know, because it's a tighter market, uh, cap rates are different, a lot different environment. Uh, I mean, that said, we still do big, hairy value-add deals. We're doing a, a 37000 per unit renovation at, as we speak. So we, we do these big renovations, and that's kind of been our bread and butter. Uh, but as we're going forward, we realize that part of the reason we were even able to acquire those large rehabs 
is because that's what was available in the market. Nowadays, it's very rare to find a property that hasn't been updated to some extent by a previous owner. Um, and so you're not going to be able to go in and do a big 37,000 door renovation, for example. So we, we tend to focus more on properties where we're getting kind of marginal uh, upsides on them. We're, we're getting strong, good returns, but before I would sit and I would wait and just to try and knock it out of the park. And now we're, we're more focused on cash flow, structuring deals the correct way. So we get good cash flow to the investors, nice, healthy deals. Uh, and then we've also kind of focused more on the, the, the flight to quality. You know, we've heard this said before and people are looking at you know, buying deals that have some longevity to them. And, uh, you know, 10 years ago, five years ago, we would have been, you know, no problem buying 1960s product. Now you look at it and you're like, man, I'm going to hold this for five or 10 years. And so then it's going to be even older when I go to sell it. Uh, you kind of get the whole kind of hot potato thing, you know, you don't want to be the last person holding a hot potato. So that's, uh, that's something that's definitely in the back of our mind. We're looking at product, uh, trying to go for some newer stuff. Uh, and then also we're, you know, transitioning slowly into new development. We've got, uh, our first ground up construction breaks ground later this year. And we've got two others that we've started density studies on with the architects. So we're, you know, making some progress into that arena. Uh, but it's, I mean, if you think acquisitions is slow, new developments is even slower. Yeah. And, and talking about that level of patience going into new construction, what were some of the data points or metrics that stood out that you said, okay, this, this makes sense to now transition from these repositionings to ground up? I wouldn't say there was a data point. Uh, I started the transition about four years ago, seeing as cap rates were compressing, seeing how his property values were continuing to climb and just, you know, starting to, uh, I mean, it hadn't been termed kind of flight to quality, but I knew already that as, as value continues, as, as prices continue to rise, eventually it's going to make more sense for me just to build ground up than it will be to buy something old because the, the spread between new and old is going to be too close and it just make more sense. You know, I'd rather have something new. Uh, so we started the process back in 2016. Uh, it has gotten us till now uh, to where we're finally breaking ground on something and it's tough. You know, you don't hear many podcasts out there about new construction. It's, it is kind of a black box there's numerous ways to get to the finish line on new construction. And, um, and there's no really, there's no kind of way to, there's no roadmap, so to speak of, okay, you do this, 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 and this, and there you go. You got a new property. It's uh, a lot of it. You have to learn on your own meeting people, you know, the hard way. Yeah, it's true. Most podcasts, if they are focused on some real estate value add, it is the value add aspect, right? So have you thought through your approach or will it be to build, stabilize, sell, or are you looking at these, that these are because they're a newer product and they're going to have more runway on them that you're going to hold them for the long term? You know, we really like the Marty fingers model where, you know, he's a very famous developer here in Houston and, and you know, as much of the U S as well, but he's, he owns everything he ever built. And I like that model. I think if you build it right, you're investing a couple of years, you know, at least two years instead of front end design of these buildings to make sure everything's done right. So why not go ahead and hold them? If you structure it correctly, you're able to uh, exit investors along the way as, as need be and still hold the asset. Uh, so we're very much uh, buy or build and hold uh, developers. Um, but still, I would use the word developers loosely. I'm still learning. I'm very much a green hand when it comes to development. 
Sure. It never stops, right? It never stops. Yeah. And some of the, the best product that we've brought is actually the original builder and owner because they, they just take, it's just a different level of care to the property, right? So you come into that and the, the asset's just in great shape, no matter, even on the age. So looking forward and what you've done now of just increasing NOI on average over 80% within the first four years of acquisition, what are, what are some of the, do you have your bread and butter plan? I know it's not going to be apples for apples as you are doing some, you know, 37,000 hour unit renovations compared to others here. Is there an approach that you always look at as your quote unquote game plan at Triarch that you implement property to property? No, instead what we have is um, we have our toolbox, right? We know all, we have our list of tips, uh, our list of techniques and strategies to implement on various products, various properties. And when we see a property we like, we'll pull out that list and we'll start going down it and we'll see what applies, what doesn't apply. We've, you know, we've got the experience that we've done it on previous properties. So we know what that rent pop was. We know what it costs us to get it done. We know what some of the hardships of doing whatever said improvement is. Um, so that's really what it is. It's just a matter of, you know, going down the list of things that you've done, things that you know work, uh, and then very strategically applying them to the properties. Um, so as you don't overdo it, you know, it's very easy. You know, we could just take our whole list and, and do the whole list in full to every property. Uh, so it's not really a, a buffet style approach. It's very much an a la carte. You just got to pluck off what you need. Uh, and then improve very incrementally. What are some of the biggest value adds you see that you implement that, that at times other operators miss out on doing? I'd say one of the things that we do, uh, we always look to add washer and dryers and uh, it's a very expensive thing to do. Uh, actually, the most expensive part of washers and dryers is, is the electrical component because typically you're having to run a new circuit um, because on these older product, they won't have the capacity to support washer and dryer. Uh, so that's kind of what we do. And it tends to be pretty expensive, you know, upwards of $5,000 a door. It'll really just depend on your GC, your market, et cetera. Uh, we're able to get that cost down a good bit though, because we've got construction in house, uh, which just makes us a little bit unique. Uh, other companies are vertically integrated, meaning they have uh, asset management and property management in-house. And we've just taken that a step further and we brought construction management in-house as well. So we've got uh, a full service GC uh, at our disposal to do these renovations at below market cost. Was there a point that you decided, so did you start with property management in-house and, and, and asset management in-house and construction in-house or was there, was there a pinnacle moment that you said, this makes sense to do this or fill in the blank? Pinnacle moment. We started off um, a lot like a lot of your guys start off. It was me, property manager, and part of the way I sweetened the deal uh, and the construction, uh, uh, a GC on our first deal. And part of the way we sweetened it uh, for them is in exchange for favorable rates, uh, I offered them a piece of equity in the deal. I think that's pretty common these days. Uh, we were doing this back in 2012. And we just kept buying deals. And then uh, as you go along, you know, sometimes some JVs work out, other times they don't work out. Uh, and then fast forward, you know, 2016, I had a good track record with, uh, with my current partners. And so we decided to go ahead and merge together. And uh, the previous uh, partner we had didn't necessarily work out. So we, you know, didn't, didn't partner with them. But 
that's just how the business works. You know, you're going to have partnerships that work and some that don't. And so early on, I would say uh, form as many partnerships as you can to get these deals done. See which ones you just have a natural. I mean, there are going to be some people that you just click with and you get along and you guys are just really humming along and other partnerships were more of a necessity uh, at the time and you form them to get the deal done and they will come and go as the deal comes and goes. Uh, so, but that's how we got started. And eventually we got to enough size where it made sense to go ahead and bring property management in house, which we officially did in 2016. And then we brought construction in house in uh, the beginning of this year in January, 2020. So it wasn't all done at once. It was done over phases as we continued to grow and it, it just made sense. And really the sky's the limit. And I guess when it comes to how you can structure deals, Mm -hmm. uh, and how you, and, and I guess how creative you are with your partners and coming up with fair and equitable, uh, partnership agreements for them. As you brought in property management and construction, what is some of the learning curves that have happened as you've implemented? Basically they're, they're businesses that all align, but they're all different business, business models that you have to put together. So what have been some of the key lessons learned? You know, it's a bit tough to break up the silos. You know, we, when you merge companies, you know, you're taking this company that's an independent company. And then now you're trying to take basically two independent companies and make them work together as one mm -hmm. unison company. Um, and so part of the issue you will have, especially when one is larger. So like, you know, technically from a, a manpower uh, perspective, property manager companies are huge, tons of people, tons of uh, managers and regionals and, and whatnot. Whereas asset manager companies tend to be smaller. Um, Right now, our asset manager size is only about two people. So it's you know a lot smaller in comparison. And so from a cultural perspective, a company culture perspective, it gets very easy for the kind of property management side of the business to kind of lead the culture. And as the CEO, as the, as the owner of both, you got to really kind of work to make sure that you've got this unison um, partnership between the two and that one's not kind of overbearing on the other. And in the same, when you break, you know, we brought in a third, you know, with the construction and uh, it's an ongoing thing, but it's, you know, the challenge is making sure that it's one company and not three individual companies under one roof. What are steps that you've used to unite the three companies across the board? So we have used a lot of, um, there's a book called Traction by Gina Wickman. We've, we've read that where our clients of theirs, we use their, um, their integrator service and, that's really been helpful. I've also got a lot of coaching myself. I'm a student of Dan Sullivan's with strategic coach, also a member of EO. And so really just applying a lot of those tips from other, you know, well, really well seasoned companies. Uh, we also do, sorry, we also do vivid vision. We're in a process of creating a vivid vision, which helps uh, provide, you know, it's, it's a much broader, much more than a, a vision statement, but an actual, like a thesis of how you see the company in the future. And so we're, you know, rolling that out this year. And, and really, I guess, just to answer your question, it's, it's all about having uh, buy-in by all the individual people and getting them to buy into something bigger uh, than their individual company. And if you, and without that, then you'll never be successful. I mean, if you don't get them to buy into, you know, the Triarch brand in our case, uh, then I've still just got a bunch of individual companies acting as individuals. What are some of the things that hold back companies from getting their, their team members to, to buy into a brand? 
one, hmm, it's a tough question. Uh, it really comes down to leadership. You know, if, if you've got good leadership at the top, then people will buy into it. Uh, if you don't, I mean, if you're not leading, because I mean, one of the challenges is you are a, a team full of leaders, right? These guys were the leaders of their company. Yeah. And then now you're trying to lead a bunch of leaders. And so it's extremely hard uh, to do that. And uh, one of the, and so if you don't kind of get over that obstacle uh, and get that buy-in earlier, as I mentioned, then they're just going to, you know, they're going to be under your brand, but they're going to be doing their own thing. Yeah. So I don't know if I answer your question, but it's, it, it is, it is tough um, with doing the merger thing. Uh, yeah, it's and it's great. something that you don't have to deal with versus if, if you were building something from the ground up, that's not a component you have to deal with. You know, so if I were to form my own management company and form my own construction company, there was, there would never be any kind of cultural issue sure. versus now it's three individual companies that we've merged together. Yeah. And, and it's a balancing line, right? Because you are now being a leader of leaders who now at at, at one point were making their own decisions and now has to be a symbiotic decision. So mm -hmm. for you looking at leadership, what are some of the core qualities you want to make sure that you represent within it? Or what does that mean to you to do that for your companies? I think first and foremost would be trust. You know, they're not going to follow you if they don't trust you. If, if they don't, if they think there's some sort of hidden agenda, um, uh, they're not going to follow. And you just got to be genuine and, uh, and then patience again, it's, it's not going to happen overnight. You're going to merge and the next day it's still going to feel like three different companies mm -hmm. and it's going to, it's a process that'll happen over time. And over time you'll kind of merge together closer and closer. Um, also just doing more things together, getting out of the office, doing more team building events, even if it's just going, getting dinner, it doesn't take much to really get people out of their, out of their space into a, independent space where everybody's free and we can all see each other as individuals. Um, and, and that'll really help bring you together. So trust being genuine, take having patience and then getting people out of, you know, you know, getting together outside of work to do things, grow the company, getting them involved, uh, with the, the bigger, longer term picture of the company. So for example, for us, uh, our goal by 2030 is to grow a portfolio to 20,000 units. That goal was set with my partners in the same room. We did a, a two-day workshop. We just really busted our butts over it. We set our core values. We set our goals. We set all kinds of different things, but it had 100% buy-in from them into uh, the vision and, and vice versa for me. You know, it was a vision that we all set together. And so if you really want buy-in from these companies uh, that you're potentially merging with, then there needs to be, uh, you need to have that involved. So you need to have them involved in the vision setting for the company. Yeah. And that's great. I mean, people can really, when you're authentic, people can feel it, right? They can, they can feel if you're there just giving them lip service, like you're just talking at them or you're talking with them. Mm -hmm. So having that quality, it, it's, it's just paramount, right? It builds the team and creating this vision with 20,000 units. What do you feel are the, the first steps that, that you as, as the overall company needs to do to make sure today that you're on the path to get there within the next uh, nine years? We've got to hire good people um, and we've got to buy good properties. So I think that's, 
you know, when, when I got started in the industry, they said that um, the, let me think of the exact words. It's, it's better to pass on a deal than to buy a bad deal. Meaning you, you're, you're one bad deal away from ending your career. And so for us, it's really just been focusing on making sure that we're not just buying any deal, but buying the right deal. Because we know that at least now, and especially in the beginning, I think even now, if we bought too big of a deal and it went sideways on us, it could potentially, you know, really damage the company. Uh, so we, even us, we're not, you know, at a hundred million, we're still not invincible to a bad deal. Sure. Uh, so I would say, make sure you're buying good deals, really get the numbers right. Uh, and then, for, for us to hit that goal is um, hiring good people at the right time. You know, there's, a, there's always a, a hesitance to hire people because you, you buy a deal, you're making a lot of money and everything's good, uh, but you're working your butt off. You're absolutely maxed out. You're working until eight o'clock at night, every night, if not longer. And uh, you've got more money coming in, but you've got, uh, you know, you're kind of defeating the purpose of the entrepreneur lifestyle of this, you know, this uh, freedom lifestyle because you're now, you're married to the, you're working too hard. So you got to hire somebody and, you know, that's, that's always been a challenge is knowing when to hire and hiring the good people. Cause you hire the wrong person. They can set you back. Yeah, it's absolutely right. Right. So we generally wait too long to hire the person and then it puts us in a position where we rush to make that hire without giving it the full time to really circumvent and it ends up costing us more time. So having that clarity to see that ahead of time that hiring good people is, is the first point I mean, that that's just shows the leadership quality right there. Are you are all your assets in the Houston market? We're spread out all over South Texas. We've got some uh, out in Beaumont, we've got some in a lot in Houston, Corpus Christi, Victoria, Lufkin. Um, I think that's it for now. Yeah. Uh, but we, we're, yeah, we're mostly in Houston though. Mostly in Houston and in Corpus. Got it. I was looking at logistically with, with the property management and the construction. So, but it, it gives you the range, right? To, to have that wider footprint to adapt. Do you, do you see your company just managing your assets or is there a goal in the future or is there another line that you're looking at, you know, manufacturing or others to, that you see as, as an integral part to continue to grow that you look to add onto your business? Yeah, we actually opened up our management to third-party management last year. We picked up uh, 700 units right away. And so that was a, a big, uh, you know, growth for us. You can, you can grow property management a lot faster than you, you can grow owner management. And that's always going to be the case. And so we made that decision last year because we've got such a, a depth of property management experience in-house and so many uh, people in-house that know how to do it uh, that the, and that the owner management side wasn't able to grow fast enough to keep up with them, with keep up or even meet the uh, supply of experience we had available to us. So we made the decision to start fee managing on a selective basis. Uh, and we picked up a portfolio last year, sold off two of those assets for the, uh, for the owner, but did a great job. You know, we increased their occupancy by 20% on one of the deals within a six month period and sold it for a profit for them. So they were very happy. Yeah. Uh, and uh, now we're, you know, we do pick up deals and we're, we're just, we try to be selective. It's not, uh, it's not something that we're actively marketing. It's something we offer, um, but we, we try to be selective because our, our main bread and butter is owner-managed deals. That's great. That's great. Looking forward, looking at the environment we're in now, has your acquisition pace or criteria altered for the foreseeable future based on what's happening right now? 
Yeah, you know, with COVID, it's um, you're, it's a bit tough, right? Because you're you're seeing deals and they may make sense to you right now, but you don't know what's around the corner with mm-hmm. all this uh, COVID. You're, we're all kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop. So we 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 saw the first shoe drop, and uh, we're not exactly sure what the consequences, uh, the reciprocal consequences, will be past you know June, July, and August with everything, and what the um, the startup of the country again will look like and how that'll be handled. So there's, you know, you certainly have to kind of walk forward uh, slowly as you continue to buy deals. Um, and that's, you know, we, here we, here we are in May and we were planning on uh, closing on a deal already. And now we're, we're not, you know, we're just looking at stuff or, or some, we're about to submit some offers on some deals, but there's a lot of, um, lot of terms in our contract that are wouldn't have been there prior to COVID, you know, that are really just helping us to give us that added, um, you know, that added comfort that if the second shoe drops, we've got a parachute to pull out of there. Yeah. I love that. Well, Joseph, I really appreciate your time today. Just really about your talk track about today, looking at your properties, more about finding the flight to quality, looking at the base hits, looking at the spread based on really just buying an older property in the 1960s that you're going to hold for five years, where that would be today first, really moving into development and new construction and how it's just a continual learning process and just having the, the, all the tools in the toolbox. So when you find a property, you can look at that property and really size up what's that best value add or value adds for the property and just having the trust and patience to, to not only believe in the process, but to build your team and to hire good people. And that's really served you and Triarch very well. So appreciate your time today. It's been great for other people that want to learn more about you, learn more about Triarch and the company and everything you have going on. What's the best way to connect? Best way to connect to me would be on LinkedIn. I'm on there almost daily. Uh, otherwise they can send us an email at info at triarchrep.com or they can check out our website. We've got a lot of good information on there, www.triarchrep.com. And if they're interested in joining our mailing list, there'll be an option on the website. That's amazing. Joseph, I appreciate your time, man. Thanks so much. Thank you, Jason. Awesome. Have a great day. Join us for your second cup of coffee every Monday through Friday at noon. Live every day, bringing us our best content we've done so far. Super excited, super engaging, bunch of great guests. We're here to answer your questions and we so appreciate you listening. Make sure to check this out. Can't wait to see you.